Okay, this morning, May 18th, it's Sunday, it is Mother's Day, and our message is Mama Said. I had hoped to have a clip from the water boy for you. Uh, y'all, who's seen the water boy in here? Am I going to get in trouble? <laughs> I tell on myself pretty often from the pulpit. But a uh, water boy goes to college, and uh, a teacher is explaining that the ob- Oblongata is responsible for all aggressive behavior, right? It's where passion and aggression and violent tendencies can come from. And he cites as an example that an alligator uh, has an oversized Abdullah Oblongata. And Bobby Boucher raises his hand and says, "Uh uh-uh, Mama said it's because he's got all those teeth and his arms aren't long enough to brush them. And the teacher begins to make fun of him, and Bobby loses his temper and rushes the teacher and says, Oh, no, Colonel Sanders. Mama was right. You were wrong. And I don't know. I always loved that clip. It's amazing what our mothers taught us. And there are some really righteous examples in the Bible, some lives that are worth imitating. And I just wanted to look at them this morning. Uh, So often in here... You hear things that you might not hear in other places, you know. A few weeks ago, we taught you about God's divine appointment on the Day of Atonement where a goat named Azazel carried the people's sin away. And last week, we taught you about the Valley of Siddim. And so often, we're digging in the Older Testament looking for nuggets of truth. This morning, it'll be easy. We're going to be in Luke. Probably won't leave Luke. That'll be easy for those of you playing the game called There, right? Amen. But first, I want to read you something out of Corinthians. It's Corinthians 11, starting in verse 12. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Say, thank you, Captain Obvious, right, for pointing out what is uh, blatant right here before us. Paul is really talking about something that's profound, though. Something, if you think about this, there is nothing that God has ever done on the earth through a human being that didn't originate in some way with a woman. And uh, in fact, you might say that every great thing God has ever done can be traced back to a mother in some way. What a profound thought. We tend to name great historical figures and we talk about presidents. I watched a show the other day that started with George Washington and went all the way forward. Nobody ever mentioned a president's mother. How did the president get there? You know, somewhere in everybody's life, there was a mother who loved them. Somewhere. And those that were given up for adoption or abandoned, God appointed a mother somewhere along the way. I've been fortunate that my mother loved me. She took care of me. But God has appointed for me even other mother-like influences in my life. People who helped guide me. People who taught me. And everything that I am today is some compilation of the influences that are around me. And if we think deeply about this subject, we can find good things even in the worst of circumstances. Turn with me to Luke 1, and we'll start there. Anybody know the Hebrew word for a mother? No? Anybody cheating, looking real quick in your interlinear Bible? It's M. Pronounced M, E-M. So James Bond, the lady that he answered to that was M, it's Hebrew, he just didn't know it. In Luke 1, 
We want to give the introduction to Luke so that you understand what he's writing about and why. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why did Luke write this book? He wanted to write an orderly account. And now he's going to tell you why. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I love this Bible. I mentioned it during worship. 350 biblical cities that they have found in Israel the archaeological evidence of. I have sitting right outside this wall in a library uh, another testament of Jesus Christ. Don't throw anything at me. I am not a Mormon. I just happen to own a copy. You know that there are no cities that are mentioned in that that can be found in North America today? Isn't that interesting? Now, in the Bible, there's over 350 cities that you can go walk on their ruins today. They're where they said. If there was a well to it, in many cases, there's a well today. The other testament of Jesus Christ, the false one, no cities. Isn't that amazing? Mentions animals that are not there. But you can go to Israel, and the same animals that the Bible mentions exist today, or there's a fossil record of them having existed. But in these other testaments, there's not. Eric, are you attacking Mormonism? No, I am holding up the Word of God. These men sat down and wrote an orderly account that had been carefully investigated, and they were urged by the Holy Spirit to do it and inspired. So these words are dripping with the influence of God. With that in mind, in the fifth verse, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, when Luke said he set out to write an orderly account, this is really an understatement. Luke has the longest chapters of any gospel. I mean, he goes into the hundreds of verses in some of his chapters. But even in this very first paragraph, he sets the time in history. It's the time of Herod the Great. All of history, secular and Christian, record Herod the Great. Isn't that nice? You can go walk in his palaces today. I've been in them. Stood in these pools in the middle of the desert that he had slaves build. Very nice guy, right? Listen to what he says about Zachariah's ancestry, though. He says about Zachariah that he belonged to a priestly division of Abijah. You know, when we trace our country's history, uh, my in-laws are here, and their last name can be traced back to the signer of the Declaration of Independence. Now, through time, a letter got dropped off, but it's the same family, and you can trace that. Trace that a few hundred years. How exciting is that, right? What Luke just did was publicly identify Zechariah as somebody who had, who had descended from the priestly division of Abijah. Why is that important? Because 1,000 years earlier, 900 and some odd years, but I'm a preacher, I'm going to round it off, almost 1,000 years earlier, David looked out at the Levites and said, Wow! Many of you guys, we have you all serve in the temple. I know. We will divide you into 24 divisions. 
And among these 24 divisions, there will be a rotating schedule. So you will each division have a week-long service in the temple. They're listed in Chronicles 24. And the eighth one listed is Abijah. This Zechariah fellow we're going to read about is of noble birth. Well, why is that important? This letter is circulating during the lifetime of people who meticulously recorded these records. They spent their lives making sure that if you claimed to be a priest, you could prove it. Amazing. Can you trace family history a thousand years? I can't trace mine back a few generations. You know, we get to a few places where you go, who's my baby's daddy? <laughs> no offense, Mom. <laughs> She's watching. I'm kidding. Uh, we're real sure that I came from her, which means every mistake that I make here, her fault. No, that's not what I'm teaching. Not what I'm teaching at all. And Elizabeth also descended from a priestly line. And there's a problem. They can't have children. Zechariah's name, for those of you that are taking notes, means the God who remembers, or Jehovah or Yahweh remembers. Remembers what? What do you think? Names in biblical culture have to do with function. When somebody was given a name, it was prophetic about their life. In fact, a very fun Bible study to do sometime, and I think I've given you a head start on our website if you look for it, is take the first 15, 20 names mentioned in the Bible in the family lineages. Define them. And you watch. It tells a story. It tells a story about a man who was pierced by a sword or a spear, Cain can mean, and provided salvation for all of mankind. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Names have to do with what the people would accomplish in their life. Now, you just thought you named your kids what you did because it sounded nice or rhymed with something or reminded you of a movie star. When the biblical culture, they prayed and prophesied. They waited for God to show them names. And Zechariah's name meant that. Let's keep moving, though. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Wow. So we have 24 divisions of priests. He's of the 8th division. So there could have been any other division there, but it happens to be his division. And then out of his entire division, they're shooting dice. In the world, we'd call that something else, but we won't pronounce it in church. <laughs> I know none of you know what I'm talking about, right? Never for seven? Okay. No. Yeah, huh? what? Never heard of that. I saw it once in a movie. And this man is chosen. Do you think that this is an accident? The Proverbs teach us that you cast the lots, but they fall into the lap of the Lord. A man whose name means Yahweh remembers. Verse 10, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of Yahweh appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Then Zechariah saw him. He was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. It's really an interesting thing. You know that today in our seminaries, pastors are taught something? Corinthians uh, 13 mentions that love endures forever. It mentions that at the end of the age, faith, hope, and love are all that will remain. But it mentions also some spiritual gifts. 
And one of the spiritual gifts that Corinthians 13 mentions is a day that it will cease is tongues. Well, our seminaries today often teach that when perfection comes, tongues will be ceased. Has anybody ever heard that before? Okay. I'm not teaching about tongues today. I want to draw a parallel for you. They taught that the closing of the Scripture, the canon of Scripture, was the perfection to come, and so all tongues have stopped. Well, aside from the evidence in this room that has proved that's not true, and the largest, fastest-growing churches around the world, like Paul Young chose in Korea, where they all speak in other tongues, there's another real problem with that. The next verse also says knowledge will pass away. Makes you wonder sometimes about the interpretation. Well, why bring that up about Zechariah? I want you to begin to set this mood. Zechariah is living in a day when people believe that God can speak, but no longer does he speak in the way he did long ago. He has just come after 400 years of what the Jews called silence. This is the Maccabean period between Malachi and Matthew. See, we, don't, we think of these as biblical days and today. Well, if I lived back in those days, people have always been the same. The Jews met about 200 B.C. and said, you know what? There have been no national prophets. We haven't seen any Jeremiah-like figures. No Isaiah-like figures. It must be that God is done speaking to us like that. And they closed the canon of Scripture, declared themselves to have the perfect Word of God, and no need for this anymore. Well, there's a real problem with that. Nobody told God. And Zechariah happens to be walking into a temple. He's walking up to an altar, and the angel of the Lord appears to the man whose name means God remembers. God had remembered that He had a people that are built to be interacting with Him, that are waiting for the opportunity, yearning, longing for their God. And here's the secret, friends. He longs and yearns and wants to meet with you. Watch what He tells him. Ooh, my pages are turning. <laughs> then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Has anybody in here ever had an experience with the Lord where you were very confused about what you thought He told you? Yeah, yeah, me too. In fact, so often we get a little tidbit from God, right? And we run and go tell all of our friends, but then we add all of the details in that God didn't give us. I prophesied to one of my friends. I, I believe that the Lord had shown me. I've learned a lot about prophesying to my friends about wives. But I believe the Lord had shown me that He was going to be married, and I was so excited. So I just painted the rest of the picture what I thought His wife would look like. Well... He didn't get the beautiful brunette. He got the beautiful redhead. And she's here today. Say, well, what do you do with that? You say exactly what happened. I miss God. <laughs> I presumed something. Well, Zachariah is standing there and he's not missing God. There is an angel before him, the angel of the Lord. And he speaks to Zachariah and he says, you are to give your son. Now, mind you, this guy's been waiting for a long time for a baby and hadn't gotten it. Do you think that baby's important to him? I once knocked all the front of Paul Dietzel Jr.'s out. Now, those of you not from Louisiana, that didn't mean anything to you, but Paul Dietzel was a famous football coach in uh, Louisiana. 
and his son couldn't have any children. And so they waited and prayed and waited and prayed, and after about 20 years, they had a baby. They entrusted that baby to me at a football camp, and I knocked all of his teeth out. Do you think they were happy with me? No, because when you've waited for something for a long time, when you've hurt for it, when you've yearned for it, it's very precious to you, isn't it? You ever seen a teenager? You make a mistake, you give them too nice of a car too fast, doesn't mean very much to them. Yeah, you give them an old jalopy and let them work for their money for a while, and they will treat it like it is uh, golden, right? They need to make a car with an inner tube all the way around it to prepare for Judah's driving days. He's supposed to get a name, John. Now to us, John, we say John like, you know, just rolls off the tongue. And John was a popular name during this day, but do you remember names have to do with function? Nobody in Zachariah's family had ever been named John. You know? Come on, those of you that have children, wasn't there pressure from your family to name your kids based on somebody in the family? Well, I threw them all for Luke. Name one Judah, another Gabriel, another name Abby. To the best of my knowledge, nobody in any family got any of those names. There's pressure on him. He needs to pick a name that comes from his family history and that he believes will represent this boy's life. But God didn't give him that option. He said his name's going to be John. John means Yahweh is merciful. So we have a father whose name means Yahweh remembers, who is going to have a son who means Yahweh is merciful. Now, who is this John? He's not Baptist, but he is called the baptizer. And John the baptizer is not somebody you would normally think of as associated with mercy, right? John had kind of a turn or burn message, didn't he? He said, hey, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? First go produce thing with repentance, and then come and I'll baptize you. When's the last time you heard a preacher say that? In fact, his whole earthly ministry was only about six months. And then they cut off his head. So, is this somebody you would normally think of as, oh, John the Merciful? Probably not. But I want you to get heaven's perspective on this. Merciful about it. You had somebody come and preach turn or burn. You had somebody come shocking the nation, trying to prepare them right before the Messiah came so that their hearts would be ready to hear. Merciful in God's eyes. You know what else is merciful about it? It had been 400 years since a prophet like John. He broke the silence and he was set apart from birth. We'll get more into that in just a minute. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Any mother ever had a baby and said, Ugh, this one's ugly. We need to put it back. No. Now, I want to be honest. As a preacher, I get to see lots of babies. Some of them not so pretty. I said, wow, he's... uh." Sure is sweet. Look at him. He's got your, uh, well, eyes. They all got the same eyes when they're born, you know? I've seen some ugly babies. But no mother and father ever thought they had an ugly baby, did they? And beautiful thing happens. Most of them get cuter. There are a few like me that lag behind. But he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Boy, what an important statement. He will be great in the sight of? Yeah, but what what did he not say? Oh, he'll be wildly accepted among all of his peers. They'll want to elect this guy president. I mean, no. He said he'd be great in the sight of the Lord. All of the men who have been great in the sight of the Lord in the past. Can you name a few? Well, how about Isaiah? How did Isaiah do in his life? 
Oh, that's right. They sawed him in two. Mm. How about Jeremiah? Oh, they threw him in a well. Well, how many of the prophets can you name that were not killed? And here is the first prophet in 400 years. Could that cause a little concern for you if you're a parent? Right? Didn't you have dreams for your children when they were born? Right? Mama's not if you had dreams. Any of them include martyrdom? (laughs) No, I bet not. I bet not. Well, we're going to read about two very special mothers today and their attitudes toward the gospel. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of His birth. For He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Why would an angel have to tell these people that? Were they not raised in the Baptist church? I mean, this is John the Baptist, right? Oh, that's right. The Baptist denomination broke off the Presbyterians in the 1800s. I forgot. Boy, it's amazing how history will set you free from certain thoughts, huh? Now, let me tell you, I'm raised Baptist. Love the Baptist church. Think they teach an awful lot of wonderful things. And where they don't, we're going to point out the truth. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Now, three weeks ago, there was a message called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A, the Nazarite, and the Mitzvah, 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 the baptism, not commandment. You remember what the Nazarite vow entailed? No fermented drink. Why? It separated you from all of your culture, all of the religious festivals, even your church-like practices for God. It excluded you from all of the festivals. It caused you to really visibly be set apart. They also couldn't touch dead things and had to grow their hair long. This was something that was a huge deal. So this angel is telling this father, hey, he's not going to be named in your family line, huh? Because he's going to represent God's mercy to this nation and he's going to be set apart from birth as something special. Well, this is joy mixed with a fearful anticipation, wouldn't you think? Okay. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zechariah could quote the book of Isaiah backwards and forward. He knows that this is a reference to Isaiah, also a reference to Malachi, a reference to a man who would come and make ready the people for the Lord. And he's going to be a Nazarite. Remember it didn't go well for Isaiah? He's going to turn many of the people in Israel back to the Lord. How, how well did Elijah's life go? Oh, that's right. He stood against all the prophets of Baal, right? He stood against Ahab, stood against a wicked queen, and he faced them all down. At times in his life, he ran off and hid under a juniper tree and wanted to die. The pressure was so great. Elisha, his successor, also had very similar problems. Can you imagine hearing these things? What might you wonder about? We think of Elijah as such a great man of God. But what about his parents? Was it hard for them to watch Elijah do these things? To build an altar and wait and have people call on God? To do all of those things? Hmm. I love Keith Green's song. He said, prophets don't grow up from little boys, do they? Have you ever wanted something so badly for your children it got in the way of what God wanted? No? 
Nobody ever wanted their kid to be a football player or a doctor and God wanted them to be a preacher? Some of you are nodding. Hmm. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Why did Luke write this account? Because he wanted you to know for certainty the things that you've been told. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is it does not include just the glory stories, right? Go ask your dad and your grandfather about their days as football players in high school, right? They scored most of the touchdowns. They did everything right. Unless your daddies are really godly. Most of the time, we don't tell stories that we're the goat of, do we? Most of the time, we don't say, and then I stood up before everybody and my fly was down. No, you tell about the stories where you are high and exalted. The Bible includes these men's failures, their weaknesses. What is Zechariah's first response to an angel visibly appearing before him in the temple of God proclaiming that he will have a son born that is going to shake up the whole nation? How can I be sure of this? Hello, there's an angel standing here telling you. Right? How can I be sure of this? But let me ask you something in your judgment of Zechariah. How many miracles has God done in your life only to have you go, Lord, how can I be sure you'll deliver me from this one? Mm -mm. How many times has He provided for you financially and yet when the next bill came in the mail, Oh, God has left me, Ichabod. Ichabod, you know, what do I do? How many times have we taken the census of our own strength, right? We're at war with the enemy and the first thing we do is see how many assets we have. Well, I know so-and-so that can fix this ticket. <laughs> no, y'all wouldn't do that. You're Christians, right? I know so-and-so who can help me out of this jam and I can borrow money from them and from them. And yet, we call God our owner and controller. Well, we have a father here who is wavering in his trust. So the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will shek it. <laughs> shek it is a Hebrew word that means shut your mouth. <laughs> you know, what you're doing is this and what I want you to do is that. <laughs> Pause for a second, right? He was about to express something that would have been offensive to the heavenlies. Disbelief in the good news that God had for mankind. Oh, how I wish God would stick my tongue to the roof of my mouth days. You ever heard the expression, give them enough rope till they hang themselves? Saints, think about the last couple of weeks. What have you said that if an angel of the Lord was standing in front of you, he would go, oh, shut your mouth. Right? favorite expression used to be, is that how your mama taught you to talk? <laughs> no, no, it's not. Mama had a lot of things that she taught. Y'all want to hear a few of them? Yeah. yeah, we'll come back to this. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your daddy gets home. <laughs> My mother taught me about receiving. You're going to get it when we get home. <laughs> My mother taught me how to meet a challenge. What were you thinking, Eric? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you talk back to me. <laughs> Mother taught me about logic. If you fall off that swing and break your neck, you're not going to get to go with me to the store. <laughs> My mother taught me about medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. <laughs> My mother taught me to think ahead. If you don't pass that spelling test, you will never get a good job. 
My mother taught me humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't you come running to me. (laughs) My mother taught me how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, Eric, you will never grow up. My mother taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. (laughs) My mother taught me about my roots. Do you think you were born in a barn? You tell me, Mom, you were there. My mother taught me about the wisdom of age. When you get to be my age, son, you'll understand. My mother taught me most of all about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. I got a little Gabriel and Judah myself. Zachariah is in a place where an angel has stilled his tongue because... The Bible teaches your tongue holds the power of life and death. And he wanted to prevent this man from sinning any further. Now, we're in a day when angels can still do that. They can still strike people dead. They can still do all kinds of powerful things. But the Holy Spirit is in us. Are there times we could just be silent when God could say, Pause. You don't need to say that. Let my word dwell up in you. Grab that thought and cast it down. And not able to speak until this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Saints, look at me and say, proper time. time. So many times we are yearning, we are waiting for a promise of God for something good, and we miss this exhortation about the proper time. You know, in 1993, God spoke to me in a way that only He could speak to me. Nobody else could have got my attention like this. And one of the things that happened is I picked up this textbook, this purple jacketed textbook with love notes written to girls and all kind of bad things in it because a Bible to me was a textbook because I was in a Christian school because the public school didn't want me anymore. And uh, I picked it up and as I began to read, the Lord began to minister to me. You were going to be like one of them. I didn't know what that meant because to me Christians were dainty, effeminate little guys married women that were prudish and ugly. That's what I thought. That was my perception of the Christian world. Well, I'm glad I found out that's not true. And when I began to see that, it began to stir in me, well, what does it mean to be like one of them? There is a proper time. I was not ready in 1993 and that first weekend when I went to the mall to preach, right? Two days safe at the mall preaching, stuffing tracts and Hallmark cards, these curious little security guys came out from everywhere right after I had grabbed a biker by his chest hair and began to exalt the Lord's name in his midst. uh, They put these neat little zip ties on my hands. (laughs) And uh, they let me go, but I had to promise never to go back to that mall, the promise which I've broken many times, but I have never again uh, preached in that mall. And I found out something. There is a proper time for all of these things. Did Moses find that out? Thank God that didn't happen to me, right? We all find a proper time for the fulfillment of God's purposes. And sometimes we just need to shut up and wait. Amen? Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Zechariah comes out of the temple, the place on earth where the Almighty God and plays a game of charades. I mean, how does, 
How does an old man do this to me? My wife? You know? He has to motion them something that is almost unspeakable. We're going to have a prophet after 400 years. His name's going to be Johannes. It's going to be different than anybody that had ever come. He's going to prepare the way for the great and coming one. Can you imagine doing that with your hands? Lord, we can't do that with words. You think this caused some stirring, some commotion at the temple. When the time of his service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months and remained in seclusion. Now, I get in trouble a lot because I'm a pretty unorthodox guy. And uh, it's probably a real benefit that God's training me with you. Because we can start small, and as I make mistakes, you can chastise me and we'll get ready for bigger crowds. But the next thing that hit my mind was not incredibly spiritual about this. He can't speak. So what's he tell his wife? Baby, you are so good looking. No, he can't do that. How does he begin to explain that I know a really advanced person able to have a baby, but feeling lucky tonight. How does he do that? Does he write it? Does he write it on a scroll? And get, I mean, is this, a, is this the first Valentine? <laughs> How does this work? See, the things of God that happen on the earth have always happened to real people. And they've always been awkward. That's why we call them supernatural. They are beyond our natural abilities. But somehow or another, this worked out. And the promise of God comes to pass. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Why? Y'all see that old lady? She's getting fat. She must have a tumor. What's wrong? Those people, God must be upset with them. The husband got stricken silent and the wife's body's changing in strange ways. Nobody would have considered she could be pregnant. Now, how odd is that? I want you to think about people then are just like people now. Today, people excuse spiritual gifts as something that happened a long time ago. It could never happen today. In this day, they used visions from God. The prophetic writings is something that happened a long time ago, but not in the first century. People have always been the same. Is not the Jewish faith founded upon a man named Abraham? Yeah. And how did Abraham show his faith before God? Doing amazing things, but chief among them, having a son when he was old in years. And he said his body and his wife was worn out. Do you think that Zachariah believed that God could do that? Of course he did. Every day he ministered before believing, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They proclaimed it in their speech, in their prayers, prayed twice a day. You are God of Israel. Even that title meant that God could give people children in their old age. And yet his first response was, wait a minute, how could we know this is true? The people of God have never had a problem believing that God could do miraculous things. Never. Almost not in any church. They just don't believe God will do it for them. Come on, saint. That ought to be hitting you somewhere. Oh, yeah, sure, God can heal your baby. But when mine's sick, I run straight to the doctor as fast as I can get there. Not that there's anything wrong with doctors. Go if you can. I think that's great. We always have this idea that God can do anything. He is awesome. God is all-powerful. But when it comes to having to do it for us is where it breaks down. That's kind of like Peter stepping out of the boat on the water. Did he believe Jesus could walk on the water? 
Yes, he could see him doing it. He had a problem believing he could walk on the water. That's why he started to sink. And when he sank, what did he pray? Lord, save me to the only one that could. As the people of God, we don't have a problem believing God will do miraculous things. We hear the testimonies. We believe the testimonies. When Charlotte says God did something awesome in her life, it's great for Charlotte. And then I need that same awesome thing. And what do I do? I think all the reasons God can't do it for me. I want to encourage you today to learn this prayer that Mary's going to pray. She said, Lord, may it be unto me as you have said. We need to learn God has got good things in store for us. We need to learn an expectancy. Not just believing God can do it for other people, but that He will do it for you. And all the reasons that you think you're inadequate, the reason these men's character flaws were written about is so that you might find hope. That's why we have murderers in the lineage of Christ, along with prostitutes, and at least three rapes, all in the lineage of Christ. Why? What, sh- what hope should that give you? That should tell you that it doesn't matter what kind of stock you come from. If you're only willing, all things are possible for him who believes. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Does that strike y'all as a strange thing to pray? Come on, y'all can talk to me. I'll cry. I'll run out. How embarrassing will it be for you if I don't finish and I just leave? Is that a strange thing to say? The Lord has done this for me and He's taken away my disgrace. What are you talking about, my disgrace? My generation was raised by women who had to endure shame and disgrace for being pregnant. Oh, yeah. Your husband wants you barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen, right? It was seen as somehow uh, a less noble calling to be a mother and a housewife. This was the age of the women's liberation movement. This woman considered it a disgrace to not be able to have children. That's strange, isn't it? It's hard even to say because you know about women who yearn for children now and you don't want them to feel a disgrace. This woman had been praying. Did you remember what the angel said to Zechariah when he first showed up? You want to scan back and see? The Lord says He has heard your prayer. Well, we never knew what He was praying until now. But you hear it in this woman's voice. She, like Hannah, her ancestor before her, was praying for a child that she could dedicate to the Lord, just like Hannah prayed for Samuel. And here he is. He shows up and she says, He has taken away my disgrace. I don't want to teach on all of this today because I promised you I'd stay in the book of Luke. But if we were going to turn somewhere, it would be Genesis we would see that a husband and a wife were created for the purpose of raising a godly family. That it has always taken sacrifice. Immediately after the fall, on the day when mankind finds out death has entered the world, the first enemy, the last one that will be put down, the monster that ravages mankind, Adam named his wife. Prior to this, she had always been, wow, man. And now he calls her Eve the mother of all the living. Another translation, the mother of the living one. 
mankind's hope has always revolved around the fact that a woman would give birth to a deliverer. What was kind of a mystery is that many women would give birth to many deliverers. And it would be a disgrace to not be included in that process. This woman's culture was founded around the idea, one of us, one of us, one of us mama somewhere is going to birth the living one. The one with the power of life to destroy death. The one who will come and remove the disgrace from all God's people, Isaiah 25 says. He'll destroy death forever. How did it turn out for that first mother, Eve? She's so excited. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Do you think all of her hope on her firstborn? Do you think that she had dreams for him? Visions for him? Thinking this one will undo the garbage that my life has brought. Hadn't every parent thought that? Hadn't every parent wanted better things for their children than they had? Didn't they, every parent want their child to turn out better than them? You think Eve was different? What did her firstborn son do? Killed the secondborn. There's been a war raging between the two seeds that come from a woman and from a man. Neither independent from the other. That's what I read to start with. That which we want for our children, the good things, God's will for our children, and that which comes most naturally to their own nature. What motherhood and fatherhood is really all about is teaching one and trying to drive out the other. For that, we need to listen to what our mamas said. And on this special day, we need to thank our mothers for raising us with the hope that we could be better people. That is an awesome thing. A little bit about Mother's Day, then we'll come back to this story. Like most every other holiday we have, this started off as pagan revelry. Does that surprise you? You name a holiday and I can tell you it's satanic origins. And yet we serve a God who takes unholy things, washes them and makes them holy. You're proof of that. I'm proof of that. The Greeks worshipped Rhea, the mother of all of the gods. And they had a Mother of the Gods Day. just happened to be in May. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. So as Romanism, that some people call Christianity, in about the 4th century comes on board, they look and they go, wow, we're used to celebrating the Mother of the Gods during the month of May. What could we do here? We'll celebrate Mary, the Mother of God. Right? A title that... You don't find in the Bible, but in any case, 4th century, she's declared to be the Queen of Heaven, Mother of God, despite Jeremiah and Isaiah's warnings and Paul's to the Ephesian elders, but that's a whole other story. That practice is called syncretism. We look at what the people are doing. Rather than kick against it, let's just try to twist it into a way we can use, right? Well, we get all the way up to our lifetimes, or at least our parents' lifetimes. Woodrow Wilson in 1914 said, you know... Everybody wants to celebrate this thing. There have been a couple notable women who have been activists trying to do it. And in 1914, he said, look, it'll be the second Sunday of every May. So the second Sunday of every May, we begin to celebrate our mothers and honor them and thank them for the things that they've done. Did you all already know all that? Listen to Elizabeth. She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, 
to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Why is that important? Because in all of this hope that mothers are birthing children, along the way the promise got refined. At first it was just be there will be a seed of a woman who will crush the head of the enemy. Then as time goes on, he'll be a supernatural child. Like uh, Isaac, one born in some supernatural way, born in promise. As time goes on, he'll be of the line of David, a king whose kingdom will never end. And so the promise got broad for all women, then narrow, and then broad, and then narrow. In fact, the writer of Matthew says Rachel and uh, Leah were competing, in a manner of speaking, to produce the Messiah. Every woman considered it an honor in fact, what a funny story. Can you imagine, men? Boy, I'm really going to get in trouble now. It's what happens when you have no notes when you preach. Can you imagine a situation where you're married, oh dear Jesus, to more than one woman? One bribes the other one with, of all things, mandrakes, to have a night with you because she wants to produce the Messiah. That sounds weird and cultish, doesn't it? It really does. But in Old Testament Israel, the belief in the Messiah... And his coming through a woman was strong that they did these things. Now, in the New Testament, the Messiah has come. Our job is not to hope that you birth the Messiah. What is it to do? Hope that you birth someone who will be a member of the Messiah's body here on earth, completing God's work on earth. Paul tells Timothy pretty strong words along these lines about what hope women are saved in. And he mentions childbearing. And people don't understand it, but that's what he's talking about. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Did he say virgin? Have you ever heard people say, oh, well, virgin's just a title for some young maiden? Then why does he keep saying it? Could it be that these writers are familiar with the book of Isaiah and the promise that a virgin would have a child and his name would be God with us? Emmanuel? Could it be that, you think? Maybe he's trying to draw your attention to it. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This is pretty strange. It really is. It doesn't seem strange to us. How do you usually greet people? Hi, I'm Steve. Hello, Steve. No, I'm kidding. Say, hi, I'm Steve, right? They say, hi, I'm Fred. I'm Eric. I'm... Would it be a strange greeting? I walked up to you and said, Master Stephen Richards, may I present myself before you, one who is esteemed and highly favored. That would be strange, right? You would think I was weird. There we go. Thank you for those adjectives that escaped me at times. You'd think I was a little strange. The angel's greeting to her is almost inappropriate. And the reason it's almost inappropriate is this greeting is reserved for someone of stature, a king a queen, somebody who is highly honored. At this time, Mary's probably somewhere between 13 and 16. She's not a person of standing in society. She comes from the most humble of origins. In fact, her only real hope at societal respect would be to marry very well. Mary to Mary. Her name's really Miriam, by the way. That's, we've English this word, but... And yet, the angel addresses her as coming from the throne of God and seeing her as something special. If what you learn from Zechariah is not just that God can do it for other people, but He will do it for you, 
What you learn from Mary is God sees you a whole different way than you see yourself. You look in the mirror and you see that you have acne or that your hairline is moving around, migrating down your back and in your ears. You look and see all of the physical imperfections and the reasons that people might not like you. What God looks at and sees is all the potential that you can be if you just will say, may it be unto me as you have said. See, this Bible is full of promises for us. The question is, do we have the courage to live like they're true? To begin to see them? Or does God need to stick our tongues to the roof of our mouth so that we cannot continually whine and speak against them and destroy His work? But the power lies with us to do one or the other. To speak life or to speak death. Lisa is a beautiful mama here today. She sent me her testimony. Because not everybody's a bold and obnoxious like She didn't want to be singled out. Sorry, Lisa. And one of the things she wrote in there was that she had carried around this sack of beans on her. This was a, descri- a metaphor. This enormous head sack all the time. And that a few months ago from the work of another mother, a little warrior named Lindy Slaughter, who's going to give birth to Lily Slaughter. Isn't that almost like an oxymoron? A Lily Slaughter. Right? God's full of those beautiful contradictions, isn't He? Here we see a nine-month pregnant, eight-month pregnant, whatever it is. Yeah? Woman who is uh, uh, expanding and yet powerful for Jesus. We are never what we appear, saints. Never. So she writes to me about this sack of beans and what she doesn't know, or maybe she did, but I didn't think she knew, is in 1678 another man wrote one of the most classic pieces of literature the world's ever seen called Pilgrim's Progress. His name was John Bunyan. And he described the very same weight on his shoulders. See, in Christ, for hundreds and hundreds of years, God has been about taking the burdens off of our shoulders, putting them on His for us, so that we can begin to walk freely and upright and see ourselves for what we are in Christ instead of what the world wants us to be. He wrote that from a prison cell. And it still touches us today. Because as unique as your experiences have been with God, they're the same for every human being. We get to a place where we realize we're not what we should be, but that He desires us to be more. If what you've gotten out of religion thus far is the feeling that you are a bad person and that you're going to be burned and that everything is wrong, you misunderstood the point. What you should be getting out of it is you are capable of more. You are called to a higher standard. God can use you. The reason the Bible's full of stories like David or a little nameless boy who brought five loaves and two fishes is to encourage you. Whatever you can give to God, whatever you can find the trust to give Him, your life, your assets, whatever it is, He can do something with. This is the problem Chandler with meeting with me during the week. I went to lunch with Chandler this week. And Chandler's talking to me about his testimony. He said, you know, Eric, my testimony's just, it's not like, I mean, it's still in progress. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so is mine. Good news is, as years go by, you can drop out the things you don't want. <laughs> we're all a work in progress, saints. And these people were too. But look at their hearts. And on this Mother's Day, look at the courage of this woman. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. How could this guy, this angel, talk to me like this? Have you never thought that? Heard somebody preach and said, well, that might be true for them, but I mean, you know, if that dude knew how much junk I was carrying around, we all wait for that same Azazel, that same goat, that same Jesus to take our sin away from us and leave us light, free, and ready to do something for Him. Paul even said it this way later in his verse, because I'm going to stay in Luke like I promised. Paul says, we've learned not to judge anyone according to the flesh. What does that mean? That means that this apostle, who was trained in all of the religion of Judaism and birthed in revelation experience in Jesus, spending more than 14 years dedicated to getting more revelation from Jesus, and then who went around preaching everywhere, learned a principle. Dude, you cannot judge a book by its cover. (laughs) They may look like two ordinary boys, but one of them is a preacher of righteousness, and the other is a prophet who calls fire from the skies. He said, no, how could that be? Elijah was somebody's baby. Elisha was somebody's baby. One of the wonderful things about Mother's Day is that if there is no other person on the earth that believes that you can be something, your mama does. I always feel bad when I'm watching Fox News or some other news channel and some poor schmo is about to get fried in the electric chair. It's not usually him I feel bad for, though. Somehow or another, they always find a way to go interview the parents and say, well, what kind of kids was he? And you never hear a mother or a father say, oh, you know, that kid was trash all of his life. You never hear that. What do they say? He was a normal little boy. I loved him and I cared for him. When you look to your left and your right, you see somebody who a mama loved at some point in their life and wanted to invest good things in. Some mamas did a better job than others. It's just the way that it is. Some fathers did a better job than others. And God picks up all of their slack. I always love this. I love when people talk about their parents and they say, you know, my mom didn't do this and didn't do that and didn't do this. And I say, but you're here, aren't you? You know? But you're here, aren't you? Or, I'm going to do it differently. I'm not going to make my kids do all the stuff in my blah, 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 blah. But you're here, huh? You know, we owe a debt to somebody for us being here. That's why God wears the title Father. His title lets us know He's the originator, the author of who we are. And we owe Him a debt. Same thing with mothers. All right, you ready? Mary was greatly troubled at His words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Do you guys see a continual repeating theme here? Because I'll preach on it some other time. What is the first words out of these angels' mouths? I mean, first paragraph? Do not be afraid. We wear bumper stickers that say no fear, and there has never been a people in the history of the world more cloaked in fear than American Christians. We fear what we look like. We fear what we sound like. We fear how people view us. We fear what if God doesn't. We, we fear politics. We fear everything that there is to fear. The message from heaven that is resounding is shut up. There's an appropriate time where God will fulfill His promise. That's from Zechariah. From Mary, it's God thinks more of you than you think of you. And then here again, quit walking in fear. It is an amazing thing to begin to go, wow, I may not see it in front of me right now, but there's a proper time and God will do it. It's a freeing thing. It means you don't have to make it happen. It means you don't have to look for a way that it will happen. 
It just means that at the proper time, it'll happen. There is a freeing thing about looking in the mirror and going, what I see is this, but what God sees is somebody who is highly favored, somebody who's esteemed. There's a freeing thing about that. And learning to set aside fear will cause you to have the strength to do God's will. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. There's another great family name that does not exist in this family. What's up with you, God? Did you not examine the family tree first? Why do you think God gave these people names that have to do with their functions that had never been found in their families before? How interesting is that? Have you ever looked and thought, I couldn't be much, look where my people come from? At least you can look and see where your people came from. There are some who can't. I never forget. I better not tell that story. So, his name would be Yahweh's salvation. Can you imagine that? It's one thing to hear that your child's going to be an instrument of God's mercy, but your child's going to be the instrument that brings salvation. Could that be a little overwhelming? What do you think your friends and family would think if you were 16 and pregnant and tried to tell them that God had made you that way? Oh, but this was back then. This was just, this was the biblical days. People have always been the same. What father jumps up and down for joy when a 16-year-old girl comes home and says, Pregnant. Relax, Dad. It's God. (laughs) Did the Jewish people believe God could do that? What did they not believe? God would do it to their daughter. Oh, Isaiah had written about it 740 years before Jesus. But, I mean, come on, that's somebody else's kid, right? When will the people of God shake off the dust and begin to realize God can do great things through us? Have you ever had somebody tell you a dream? I mean, I'm going to be president one day. And you thought, yeah, right. Why did you think, yeah, right? Because you know them, right? You're not supposed to know an associate who are going to be great? Well, everybody starts somewhere. We need to adjust our perspectives. We need to begin to see ourselves as highly favored by God, ready to do great things. He will be called great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give Him the throne of His father, David. There's a really specific promise. It came from 2 Samuel 7, but I'm not going to turn there because I told you I would stay in Luke. We're after all of this time wondering who will the Messiah come through. God at one point in history says, Hey, David, it will be through your family line. But the problem is David's family line was pretty darn big. Now, when God spoke that to uh, David, he'd been holy all of his life, right? Basically born again from the womb. No, this is well after his murder and adultery. And yet there was hope. Isn't that amazing? The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What a strange promise that would be. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. I want you to hear this. What is the difference? If you had to contrast her and Zechariah, what did Zechariah say? How can I know this is true? There's a hint of disbelief in that, isn't there? What is Mary asking? How are you going to do it? Do you understand? Now, I want you to hear this, though. When I say people have always been the same, 
when Sarah heard the promise that she would have a child, what'd she do? <laughs> you got to be kidding. Right? Great people of faith. you got to be kidding. What did Abraham say? Eh, it's going to have to be Eleazar that's going to inherit my estate. Right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to turn back to Genesis 19 and 20, but I won't do that because I'm going to stay in Luke. Right? But I want you to know that every story that we read is rooted somewhere. It's why I'm always teaching you out of the Old Testament. Somebody told me this week, I didn't know what to think of your church when I first came. I mean, what's your obsession with the Old Testament? He said, but then I began to get it. I see. And that's where all of those stories come from. I thought, wow, only a few months and dude's got it. He'll reign over the house. I'm sorry. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. She got hung up on the first part. <laughs> you know, Mom and I hadn't talked about it a lot, but she did hint when I betrothed myself to Joseph that there was a certain kind of interaction that was going to have to happen. And uh, there hadn't been any of that. So how is this going to happen? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Let's stop here for a second. What great thing is it that God's birthed in your heart that you believe somebody else could do? What great thing is it that you've ever conceived of that you hope would happen? But it's got to happen with somebody else because God just couldn't use you. Friends, we've got to learn to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. We have to learn to make Psalm 91, which we won't turn to because we're going to stay in Luke, our dwelling place, the abode of the Most High. Because when He begins to overshadow you, meaning overshadow your thoughts, overshadow your inadequacies, overshadow all of your failings, all things are possible. We just have to learn how to let Him overshadow us. The problem in churchianity today is we want to outshine Him. We'll only do things for Him if we shine brightly. We'll only do things for Him if there's obvious glory in it for us. And the that He does through us are the kind that most people will laugh at. But they're great in the sight of God. My little boy invited people to his baptism. Tell them, don't you just invite the friends that are easy. Invite the ones that are hard. That's an example of God overshadowing someone. Do you think He wanted to do that? Of course not. But if He learns now how to put aside fear, what do you think He'll be like when He's a full-grown man? Saints, we need to mature in our faith and our trust in Him. We need to learn to let the Almighty God overshadow us. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. What is that, saints? It's what we do every Wednesday night. That's the testimony of somebody else that something supernatural happened to. And as long as it's in a galaxy far, far away and a time long ago, it means nothing to us. That's why we're dull to the missionary stories. But when it's your cousin, amen, when it's somebody you know, all of a sudden it impacts you more. Why? Because they were ordinary people. Yeah, anybody that God's ever done anything to was an ordinary person. But He overshadows us in great things are possible. Mary's getting encouraged by hearing the testimony of her cousin. 
Now, let me ask you, is it a toss-up or is one bigger miracle than the other? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I guess it depends on how old they were. But, I mean, these are pretty phenomenal things, aren't they? Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her six months. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. i got just a few minutes left, but I need you to do something. If there were a radio dial in your head and you could change the station, change it for a minute. When we hear those words, we are used to saying, that's right, God can do anything. That is not the context with which this angel is. He's not saying God can do anything. He's saying, for you, nothing is impossible with God. He's speaking to an individual about her life. Nothing is impossible with God. There is an enormous leap between saying God can do anything and saying God can do anything for me. And you have to make that step if you ever want to see anything happen. We cannot stand back in disbelief in the timidity of our own shadows and always say, well, God will do it for someone else and be the bold, bright vibrant, shining cities on a hill God has called us to be. Faith always puts something at risk. And it's usually the risk of failure in front of people. But when you begin to believe that God can do all things for him who believes and that him is you, you can begin to see it happen. My very first thought when I went to the funeral of this eight-year-old child to preach it was, Lord, will you raise him? Now, the easiest thing in the world is to never even grasp or wrestle with that thought, right? Because if you're fool enough to believe that he might, then you have to try. You ever walk past somebody in a wheelchair? The thought hits your mind, but you just keep walking as fast as you can. You put it out of your mind as fast as you can. When we can begin to dare to believe. Now, I'm not telling you make up things. God said when he didn't say. But when you can begin to entertain the that God could do something amazing through you and then believe enough to open that door, there's the possibility He may speak to you. Now, I'm not telling you to go grab people out of a wheelchair when He doesn't speak to you, but if you're not even open to the possibility, how will He ever speak to you? It's kind of like waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit like this. If the Lord wants me to speak, I will. Boy, you don't know how many times I've seen that. After a while, you get numb to it. You want to go. Not really. You love them. You understand. Well, I mean, I was waiting for God to hurt me in some kind of way. Found out He's gentle. He's not like that. For nothing is impossible with God. Look at Mary's response. This is what started this whole message. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. If you are the Lord's servant, saints, that means that anything the Lord wants to do, He can do through you. You are the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. We need to learn to look at this word and announce, answer it, say in the mirror, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, God. And whatever He has said about you, whatever He has said to you, whatever He has said for you to do, you need to begin to see as a reality. That's why I'm teaching on vision to the men and all of those things. 
The problem has never been that we don't believe God can. It's that we don't believe God is doing it for us. When will we dare to believe? This is Mother's Day. And I want you to remember what this mama said. This mama saw herself as the Lord's servant. And she was willing to endure this for God. Why do I say endure? When you think of a calling, what is it? Is it something in the limelight? Is it something great with a little too much you in it? Look at her calling. What was it? Oh, people are probably going to want to throw big rocks at you because you are going to appear to have broken the law even though you didn't. The husband that you are betrothed to, he probably is going to think you're a liar and King James says it, so I'll slide it right in there, a whore. He's probably going to think that. God said she was highly favored, but men are going to call her a whore. Years later, Jesus dealing with Pharisees and Sadducees, they said, don't we know your parents... There's a slight insinuation they were accusing him of being illegitimate. That's open to interpretation. What I'm trying to say is what God was asking of her was something that would cause her reputation to shrink in the eyes of men that it might grow in the eyes of God. That's something to meditate on this week. Last note, because I need to close. Your mothers did something selfless. I preached last week about selflessness. There is nothing more selfless in the world than carrying a child around for nine months, having your body go through hormonal changes and everything else. And then, every night, feeding it, clothing it, doing all of those things, knowing that you're raising a child that will not for many years appreciate what you've done. We're going to close. I want to read you one more thing. It's a mom's dictionary. You ready? This is how moms redefine terms. Bottle feeding. An opportunity for dad to get up at 2 a.m. <laughs> Cass, you'll love this one. Family planning. The art of spacing your children the proper distance apart so as to keep you on the edge of financial disaster perpetually. <laughs> I didn't know what my middle name was until I was in junior high. I was never a very bright kid. Full name. What you call your child when you're mad at him. Thanks, Mom. She is always sweet. Grandparents. The people who think your children are wonderful even though they're sure you're not raising them right. <laughs> Independence. How we want our children to be as long as they do everything that we say. A show-off. A child who is more talented than yours. <laughs> I could relate to this one. In a mom's book of definitions, a puddle is a small body of water that draws other small bodies wearing dry shoes into it. <laughs> Today, we're going to stand up and we're going to close in prayer. And then if you haven't called your moms yet, go call your mom. If you can't get her by phone, write her a letter, send her an email, do something. And remember that other mothers throughout history had the hope that their children could be something. And learn to look at yourself and believe that God can do things through you. This is the hope of Christianity. Not that God can do anything, but that He can do anything in you and through you. Otherwise, we're just dependent upon intellect. The Gospel is a supernatural Gospel, which means God takes you personally 
to a higher plane than you're capable of without Him. Put that to the test, saints. Show some trust in Him and great things will happen, I promise. Oh, it's uncomfortable. It hurts and it's scary. But that's why the angels keep saying, do not be afraid. Pray with me.